of one. Isn't that amazing just how one invite impacted one person and impacted another person, impacted another person, impacted another person? Man, I thought somebody was charging the stage there for a second. I forgot I was bringing this TV out. Hey, it's, it's amazing. So I want to ask you a question. I want to start off with this message today. Who is your one? We've been in this series, Irresistible Love, and we've been talking about um, the, the importance of Christianity becoming irresistible again, because it actually is irresistible. If Christianity is lived like Christ actually intended it to be lived, it's incredibly irresistible. It's amazing. And, and what we're praying is that for every one of us, we'll be so impacted with the love of God that the love of God gets in us and it flows out of us and it begins to change the world in which God's placed us in. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Now, this, this series has been based on a book by Andy Stanley called Irresistible. And if you've not yet bought the book, I want to encourage you to buy that book. It's going to challenge your theology. It's going to challenge what you believe, what you think. But it's amazing. In fact, um, I've got a small group that's going through it. And uh, one of the guys this past Wednesday night, he'd been coming for a few weeks and listening to our discussion. He goes, man, this has been so amazing. He goes, I'm going to buy the book and I'm going to start reading it. Now, how many of you know if people actually make a decision to read, God is really moving in the house, right? I mean, something is really happening. And it's simply because of the fact that Christianity is supposed to be incredibly irresistible. I'm afraid, though, that in the church today, there are way too many people. And notice I said people, not Christians. Because you can be in church and not be a Christian. Just because a mouse lives in a cookie jar doesn't make it a cookie. Just because you stand in a garage doesn't make you a car. Just because you get in a... Okay, right, y'all got it, right? But there are a lot of people in the church today that have made Christianity very resistible. Honestly, it's very repelling. I I get around some of those people, I see some of those people, and I'm kind of like, ugh. And they talk about, yeah, this is something amazing. Do you want what I've got? And I'm like, yeah, I don't want what you've got. I don't know if that thing's contagious, but please stay away from me. So it's important that we understand that there's a responsibility on every one of us to to allow Christianity to become very irresistible. Can you imagine a home life that's irresistible? My wife can because she's married to me. And I can because I'm married to her. But can you imagine, seriously, your home life where it's just irresistible. You can't wait to get home from work at night so you can spend time with your family because they're so irresistible. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, I've been mentioning some things that were irresistible. Uh, several weeks ago, I mentioned, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned I was a grandpa. I'm a papa now, you know, and, and so that little baby is just so irresistible. I mean, I want to squeeze her cheeks. I heard she was here today and I didn't get a chance to see her. So my son and daughter-in-law are in so much trouble today. And then last week I brought my, my new puppies, uh, these Aussie doodles that we bought, and they're just amazing dogs. And those of you that are dog people, oh, they're just so irresistible. But I want to talk about the third thing that I think is the most irresistible, and that's you and I. Some of us think that. We know the love of God is coming in us, and it's flowing out of us, and it's starting to change some things around us. And that's what Christianity should be doing in our lives and in the lives of other people. It should be like a a virus, but a good virus that's spreading everywhere. In fact, if everyone reaches the one that God has placed in your life, it's amazing what can happen. In fact, I, I did a little bit of math that next Sunday we're having Easter, and it is one of two times a year that most people will show up for church. The CEO Christians... Christmas and Easter only, right? They're going to they're gonna show up 
people are going to show up. And so it's a great time for you to invite somebody. And if 100 of us, there's, there's more than 100 people here just in this service, but if just 100 of us said, you know what, I'm going to bring somebody next week. I'm going to have them sit with me. I'm taking them out to dinner afterwards. They'll show up, and I'm going I'm to make sure that they're there. And they come, they give their life to Christ. They become radical, this irresistible Christianity like we're talking about. Do you realize that we would have gone from 100 of us to 200 of us? If we do that same thing at Christmas, now there's 200 of us, and we do the same thing. We invite 200 people. They come. They get saved. They get radical about this thing. We now go from 200 to 400. Look, if you do the math, at the end of 10 years, just doubling twice a year for Christmas and Easter only, that's not even counting the summertime, fall time, springtime that we could reach people. Just that, at the end of 10 years, you would have won over 104 million people to Christ. So that's why when I say that if 11 men could turn the world upside down, the size of the congregation we have, we can turn the world upside down too. But it starts with us turning our world upside down. Probably actually starts with us turning ourselves upside down. And recognize there's some things in us that we need to adjust, we need to fix So that Christianity becomes this amazing thing that people go, I don't know what you've got, but I want it before we've ever said a word to them. And I think the reason why most people are so resistible in the church today is because they're still married to the old covenant and the new covenant. See, the old covenant was do good, get good, do bad, get bad. In the, did I say new covenant? Did I say old covenant? Some are going, I wasn't paying attention. Okay. In the old covenant, that's the way it was. In the new covenant, it's because of the fact that Jesus did good, and we're in him, we get good, even when we do bad. Listen, it doesn't mean that there's not bad consequences for wrong behavior. Those of you that are married, you know. You know. But listen, because we're in Christ Jesus, it's a settled issue. His favor is on us. His his blessing is being poured upon us. But the problem is that most, I shouldn't say most, some people in the church today who make Christianity resistible are married to both things. Say, Pastor Richie, I'm not. I've been coming here so long. I'm all new covenant. Okay, let me ask you this. When people do well in your life, how do you respond to them? Do you love them? Do you like, oh, so glad to see you. Come on, it's great to see you. How do those, when those same people do bad, how do you respond to them? See, that's really the understanding is understanding that what every one of us have some issues in our life. Every one of us, just so you're thinking, oh, it's just me. No, it's actually every one of us. And when we understand that we're imperfect, but we're on a pursuit of God, we begin to understand some things about following after God that begins to change everything. So when Jesus came, what Jesus came to do was fulfill the old covenant and establish the new covenant. That's why when he was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the world? He gave us a greatest commandments formula that was a hit. Everybody of that day went, wow, I love that. And here's what he said. When asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And everybody then would have said, you are exactly right. But he didn't stop there. In fact, he went on to say, and the second is like it. And when he was saying it's like it, he's not saying it's second in importance. It's only second in sequence. In fact, it's doing the second thing that actually proves the first thing. Because it goes on to say, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
So with that, he says, because he continues on, and he says that all the law and the prophets, all everything in the Old Covenant, everything in the Old Testament hangs on or is fulfilled in these two commandments. He took their 600 plus commandments and condensed them down to two things, love God and love others. Pretty simple, pretty amazing. It was the transition from fulfillment of the Old Covenant into the establishment of the New Covenant. But he goes on and begins to talk about the new covenant. And here's the the verse that he gives us in John chapter 13 when he says this. A new command I give you. Now, I want you to notice that Jesus didn't say, hey, I've got a request for you. I've got something that, hey, if you can work this into your schedule, because I know you're pretty busy. I know you've got soccer. You've got things going on at work. You know, you're, you're really busy. But look, if you can work this into your schedule, I'd like you to do this. Notice he didn't say that. You notice I'm going to step on your toes today also? All right, awesome. A new command I give you, that you love one another. Now, that wasn't the new part because that had been a part of the old covenant. But here's what he goes on to say. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you, you must love one another. So, What Jesus is telling us is that all of the fulfillment of the law happens when we love God and love others. And how are we supposed to love others? The same way that God loved us. Now, if you've been coming here for a while, you know that I say quite often that what Jesus did on the cross was a finished work. When he said it is finished, he wasn't joking. He wasn't saying, well, there's there's something more that you have to do to, to be qualified for what I've already done. He, he wasn't kidding. So people ask from time to time, well, Pastor Richie, if it's a finished work, are you saying that I have to do things? Are you saying that because God loved me, I have to love other people? Are you saying that if I don't love other people, then God's not going to love me? Yes and no. Yes, because God loved you, you and I should love other people. And the problem with that is, unfortunately, most of us have a wrong perspective of love. I had great parents. I imagine many of you had great parents. But some of you had difficult parents. And no matter how good or how challenging our parents may have been to us, we have a wrong understanding of what God's unconditional love looks like. And we have a tendency to think the way our parents loved us is the way that God loves us. So for some of you, that's God's always angry with you. God's always disappointed that when God's asking you to do something, he's holding something over you going, hey, here it is, here it is. Oh, can you do a little better? You do, oh, almost, man. That was so close. It's not the way God is. So we've got to understand that it's God's unconditional love. And so what we have to understand is that when we get filled with the love of God, you can't help but the love of God to flow out of you. Because what I'm afraid of today is, as I said earlier, there are a lot of people in the church today who are people in the church that are not actually followers of Jesus Christ. And listen, it's not my job or my responsibility to judge you or decide if that is, but I recognize it because there are so many people in the church that are so unloving. Because just because you prayed a prayer when you were six years old, if you didn't mean it, it didn't change you. It should be changing you, and you should be daily being filled with the love of God. Listen, again, it's not about perfection, but it's about being a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Because Jesus goes right on with that verse without even taking a breath and goes to the next verse in verse 35. And he says, by this, remember that's a demonstrative pronoun. He says this, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciple. Everyone will know that you are my follower. Everyone will know that you're following after me. How? If you love one another. It wasn't about church attendance. It wasn't about reading the Bible. It wasn't about praying. Though all of those things are good and all those things are important. But it was our demonstration of loving one another that would actually prove that we're followers of Jesus Christ. Listen, if we profess to be something, our actions should prove or at least identify that is what we are. Does that make sense? Let me, let me say that again. If we profess to be something, our actions should prove or at least identify that is what we are. Us loving others is the proof that we, it's the evidence that we are followers, that we are disciples of Jesus Christ. Let me, let me try to illustrate it this way. If I were to tell you that I'm a drummer, I do, just so you know, I'm not. In fact, when we first started the church, I'm, I, my degree... Uh, I've actually studied music in school. My degree is in composition and arranging. So, man, I get music. And so um, one time the drummer was running a little bit late for worship rehearsal. So I said, hey, I can jump up there. I can do that. I was on the kit for about five, ten seconds. And my wife said, stop, stop, stop. I mean, stop and don't ever do that again. <laughs> so it is indelibly imprinted in my mind that I am not a drummer. All right. But if I told you that I were a drummer. I, I'm, I'm a drummer, and, and in fact, I'm actually a student or a disciple of Troy Lowry, who ha- happens to be one of the drummers here at the church, and I told you this is who I am, but if I don't know what drumsticks are, if I don't know how to keep a beat, if I don't know how to set up drums or sit down to it, you're going to quickly think you're not a drummer, right? You're, you're going to recognize you're not a drummer. You're not a student of Troy Lowry, You're not really following after learning from him, right? And in fact, not only is it going to be an indictment against me, it's actually going to be an indictment against Troy Lowry. So as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to understand what being a follower of Jesus Christ is actually all about. Well, lucky for us, the Apostle Paul tells us, outside of Jesus, there's probably not anybody that had more influence in New Testament theology than the Apostle Paul. He, he wrote over half of the New Testament. He planted all the churches that he wrote all of those letters to. And so there's no one, probably except for Jesus. Now, some theologians actually believe that Paul actually had more influence than even Jesus. But either way, it's not for our discussion today that he had, he had more input than anybody else. So he shows us how we are to love one another as Christ loved us. He teaches us through the word of God to understand what being a follower of Jesus Christ actually looks like. So that when you see one, you go, that's one. Right? Y'all know the difference between a dog and a cat, right? You see a dog, you go, dog. See a cat, you go, cat. Right? Okay. That's my little illustration also. So he's going to give us some instructions. And and if you're not careful, what can happen is that this once Pharisee, we can think that he's reverting back to the old covenant again. That he's trying to give us all of these rules and regulations and instructions that you find throughout the New Testament. 
But check this out, because he's going to look, we're going to look at two letters today. One's to the church of, at Ephesus, that's the book of Ephesians. And another one's to the church of Galatia, that's the book of Galatians. And here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 31. He says, get rid of all bitterness. How many of you have ever had something bad happen to you? Show of hands today. Okay, the rest of you don't have your hand up your line, because we've all had some bad things happen to us. Listen. Sometimes if we're not careful, we can allow something bad that has happened to us become a movie in our mind that we play over and over and over and over and over again. And if we're not careful, we can become bitter. Now, we typically a lot of times don't recognize that we're bitter, but everyone else around us sure can because everything we say is so toxic and so negative all the time. But, but Paul tells us to get rid of all bitterness, meaning you actually have a choice to get rid of bitterness. You can hang on to it all you want, or you can get rid of it. He goes on, rage and anger. You can get rid of rage and anger. Of course, he's not talking about road rage. That's okay in the Bible, I believe, all right? (laughs) Rage and anger. Watch this, brawling and slander. You know, some of you guys are your brawlers. I mean, you're MMA guys. Oh, you're just ready. You don't have to be that way, all right? Along with every form of malice, so he Give us the negative things. Here's some positive things. Be kind and compassionate. Pastor Rich, you don't know me. I can't. Yes, you can, because the word of God's telling us to. To one another, forgiving each other. Listen, that's good advice. If you're here today and you're not even a follower of Jesus Christ, you just drove onto the parking lot on accident and you found out there were donuts inside, so you thought, I'm going to go in and check it out. If you're here today and you're not even a follower of Jesus Christ, that's good advice. You do this You're going to be healthy. The environment around you is going to be healthy. But why does Paul tell us that we need to get rid of these things and take on these things? He goes on and says, just as. Now, I ask him just to hold on to that for just a second. Just as what? Just as Moses commanded? Just as the law says? Just as the Bible says? Watch what he says. Verse 32, the rest of it. Just as in Christ God forgave you. So that should sound familiar to us. What we, what we should do for others is we, when we do things unto others, we're loving others and we're loving God. That's what Jesus did for us. And all of the instructions in these two verses, in fact, all of the instructions that you're going to find throughout the New Testament are just applications of Jesus' new commandment to love one another just as I have loved you. It's so amazing, and suddenly now we begin to understand, oh, okay, God, you want me to put off bitterness. I don't have to be bitter anymore. Listen, there's some of you, you just put off some bitterness, and you're going to change your work environment. You're going to change your home environment. So he continues on in the next chapter, because I want to remind you that these are, this is actually a letter, and he says this, so follow God's example. Therefore, now every time there's a therefore, you always need to know what the therefore is there for, in light of what we just read, it says, as dearly loved children, as, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Sounds very romantic, doesn't it? I love it. Walk in the way of love. Don't go changing to try and please me. You never let me down before. Mm-hmm. Don't imagine too familiar and I don't see you anymore 
right? Sounds very, sounds very romantic, but listen, there's another just as right around the corner. Look at this, verse two, continuing, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. According to Paul, our behavior as followers of Jesus Christ is to be patterned after Christ's sacrificial love for us. This is the branding of the way of love that Paul is actually talking about. And again, if you're thinking this is a bit mushy, let me remind you that the way of love that Paul is actually talking about culminated with Jesus hanging on a cross covered with his own blood, sweat, and urine. Listen, we don't like to think of it like that, do we? We like to kind of keep the cross kind of pretty. This beautiful thing, a beautiful expression of love, but it was gory and it was gritty and it was the way of love. And you've got to notice that Paul does not leverage the old covenant to establish the standard for Christian morality. His leverage, he leverages our inclusion in Jesus' new covenant. Because we're in Christ Jesus, we need to operate in the way of love. In verse 8, it says this, for you were once darkness. Notice it doesn't just say that you were once in darkness. We actually were darkness. Everywhere we went, we spread darkness. But watch this, but now you are a light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. In light of who we are. I didn't know if you'd catch that. By God's grace, Paul instructs them. He instructs us to live in a manner that is reflecting the grace of God. So what is the basis for Christian behavior? Is it the Bible? Is it the law? No. It is the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. What should a forgiven child of the light do? Live as children of the light. Embrace the way of love. So simple, so clear. We, we no longer have these 600 do's and don'ts we're trying to do. It's simply embrace the way of love. And for those of you that are kind of still married to the old covenant, man, I still want to walk over here, I want to walk over here. Paul is not okay with the mixing and matching of the old covenant with the new covenant. In fact, there was a group of people when the, when the church first began called the Judaizers. And what they were is they were people that wanted to embrace all the teachings of Jesus, but they wanted to bring in all of the old covenant. And what they wanted is for Gentile Christians to get circumcised. Listen, that's got to stink as a child, but that's really got to stink as a full-grown man, right? Well, watch this. Paul reserves his harshest. Is that okay to say on a Sunday morning? All right. Paul reserves his harshest criticism for them. People that are marrying both covenants. Watch it. Galatians 5 verse 12, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Immediately, after Paul states so bluntly what he thought should be done with people that are marrying the old covenant and the new covenant, watch this, what he says in verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, ladies, let me pause real fast and say the new covenant has been amazing for y'all. Because under the old covenant, women were nothing more than property. They were. And now, because of what Jesus has done, he's he's elevated. Jesus has elevated women in equal status to men. Some of the men don't want to hear that, but I'm telling you, he's elevated y'all. My brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. Listen, the Bible says it is for freedom 
that Christ has set you free so that you, cannot, you and I can walk in the freedom that Christ has for us. But watch this. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Don't use your freedom to go, this is just how I feel, so this is just the way I got to be. Listen, brother, serve one another humbly in love. Oh, Pastor Richie, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. Okay, then why don't you do it here too? Once you get in the growth track, get through the growth track, you can discover who we are, discover who you are, how you fit in the body of Jesus Christ and serve one another humbly in love. Because there are some of you that are the hand and we don't have the hand working right now in this body and we're walking around like this. And we're, we're wanting to grab some things and take hold of some things, but we don't have the hand because that's what you are and we need you. So serve one another humbly in love. And again, you see this way of love mindset. And then Paul tells us where he got this idea from. Verse 14, he says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is taking his cue from Jesus and he ties everything back to loving God and loving others. Everything else in the, in the New Testament is just commentary and application of these principles. Everything that you look at is just for you and I to figure out how to walk in the way of love. If you back up a few verses, you can just see how focused he is on this because he says this in verse six, for in Christ Jesus, that's shorthand for the new covenant. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. Circumcision was just shorthand for the old covenant. How much value does the old covenant have? None, nothing, nada. But it's the next sentence that really is the key that Paul wants us to see. He says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Now, some of you are wondering, seriously, the only thing that counts? The, the only thing that counts? Surely he just meant one of the only things that counts. He said, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. It's what he wrote. Turns out it's what he meant. As circumcision was the defining characteristic of the old covenant, the defining characteristic of the new covenant is faith expressing itself, working itself out through love. It's not our behavior. It's not, it's not church activity. It's not Bible reading. Those, again, those things are important, but it's faith expressing itself through love. And there's a huge difference. Listen, circumcision couldn't be seen by the public. It was decided by parents. It was a once and done, all male. The mark of the new covenant is visible and public. It requires daily, moment-by-moment decisions. It is not gender-specific. It's an all-skate. And while it doesn't require surgery, it is painful because sacrifice can sometimes be a bit painful. And you know how we want to love? We want to love if we feel it. If we feel good, we want to love. Sometimes loving other people is painful. Sometimes in a loving relationship, you actually have to give up your right to be right. Why? Because the relationship is more important than the fact of what restaurant you want to go eat at. Preach it, Pastor Richie. But notice that Paul doesn't end the sentence with the only thing that counts is faith, period. Because that's the Christianity that many of us grew up with. A vertical focused faith only that caused us only to look to the sky. 
Faith that doesn't think that it's important to express itself through love develops manufactured religious routines and activities. And it goes to either extreme. On the one extreme is it's how, how close to the not okay line can I get and still be okay? Just so you know, if you're going to live on that line, you're going to find yourself getting bumped over the not okay line occasionally. And when you do, you bring all kinds of junky things into your life. It also creates a judgmental mindset with us where we are void of loving one another. The mark of the new covenant, the proof of being a follower of Jesus Christ is faith expressing itself through love. Far more simpler than the old covenant, but much more demanding. Listen, there are no loopholes in the new covenant of Jesus Christ. But Pastor Richie, I'm not just sure that I can do that. I'm here today to tell you that you can. You, you really can. How do I do it? By daily receiving an abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. By daily reminding yourself what Jesus Christ did so that you could walk in the abundant life that he has for you. I'm amazed at how many times God does something for someone and I can put myself in that camp too. He does something amazing for us. And then two days later, two weeks later, I have a challenge coming to my life and I'm like, God, where are you? Is this how it's going to be? Y'all ever been there? We get so unthankful. We need to be constantly being filled with the love of God, reminding ourselves how perfectly God loves us. He loves us in our best moments. He loves us in our worst moments. Because when we get filled with the love of God, it's the love of God inside of us that flows out of us and it changes other people. It's no longer this, I gotta get up, I gotta love people, I gotta love people, I gotta love people. You're simply getting filled with the love of God and that is the thing that is empowering you to give love away. I'm telling you, you start focusing on how perfectly God loves you, how amazing he has been. That that love inside of you is gonna change you and it's gonna change everyone around you. See, 1 John 4, this is John the Revelator, the, the disciple that lived longer than anybody else. He'd, he'd seen Jesus love on people. He'd seen Jesus die. He'd seen all kinds of devastation happen in his life. And he says this, we love because he first loved us. We love God because he first loved us. We love one another because he first loved us. That's the thing that empowers you and I is the revelation of God's love. One of the ways that I can tell that I have lost the revelation of God's love is because I become a little bit unloving. I do, I'm, I'm, I'm a little grumpy. I'm a little grouchy and I know y'all aren't ever this way so just let your pastor bear his soul here for just a second. And when I start recognizing ahead of time and or in the moment when my behavior is not becoming of a child of God, I'm starting to choose to make a difference and an adjustment in my life. I'm starting to say, you know what? I'm not going to talk like that to my wife anymore. I'm married to an amazing woman. I'm married to a loving woman, and I'm very thankful for her. I'm not going to speak to her like that. Is it just that simple? It is absolutely that simple. You simply make an adjustment. Here's the other question we get. What if I don't feel like it? Well, who said that you had to feel like it? I'll tell you who did. Hollywood. Modern culture. Look, if you don't feel love anymore, man, you probably just don't really love them. You need to get out of the relationship. Not true. Love is a verb. Love the feeling is a product of love the verb. When you choose to love people, when you choose to sacrificially give to people, your heart is attached to them. It's why you love your kids so much. Okay. <laughs> it's why you love your kids so much in case they're going to hear this recording. 
The reason is, is you sacrificed for them. Moms, you carried them for nine months. Dads, you were there, right? You did things for them when they were small. You took care of them. You sacrificially gave to them. And that's, that created this deep love for them. You want to see them succeed. It, it costs us something. It's not a feeling. I love, I love when I feel love. But even if I don't, I can still choose to love. So here's a closing question for this series that I'll, I want to ask you about or ask you to think about. That if you don't remember anything else that I said, and I hope you have, but if you don't remember anything else, I, I pray that you remember this. When you get in a situation, you ask this question, what is love asking of me? Think about that for just a moment. What is love asking of me? If you're dealing with a person and you're about ready to say something, and it could either go in a good direction or in a bad direction, I hope you just can take a breath for just a moment and say, what is love asking of me? If you're in a, in a situation that you're about ready to do something, and you doing that thing can go in a good direction or it can go in a bad direction, I'm praying that you'll stop, take a breath, take just a moment, and say, what is love asking of me? Listen, when God realized that man could never be good enough to restore the relationship that had been broken, God the Father asked himself, what is love asking of me? So he sent his only son to redeem mankind, knowing the pain, the sorrow, and the suffering that he would bear just to restore the relationship. When Jesus came to this earth, knowing that man could not pay for his sin outside of eternal separation from God, Jesus asked the question, what is love asking of me? And he laid down his life and he bore all of our sorrow, all of our sickness and all of our sin. It was nailed to the cross so that we could find freedom, so that we could discover redemption. And when he faced a debt he did not owe, Jesus paid it all. I'm telling you, if you can start wrapping your mind around that, it will change how you love forever. So as we close today, there's something that I want to share with you, a video that the creative team put together several years ago. It's something that we often show at Easter time. But it's, it's really a reflection on the way of love. It's an opportunity for you and I to understand how, how unromantic, how unmushy, how untouchy-feely the way of love actually is. So that we can understand, by example, the picture of Jesus Christ and what he did in offering to you and I the way of love. So check this out.